I'm going to read our text this morning. This is a little bit different. Normally, I like to do what's called expound upon a particular text. Today, our text is the whole Bible, and so I'm sure you're not going to sit around for me to read the whole Bible. We're going to read one particular text. It's a launching point for what we're going to discuss today, okay? So this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's Paul's intro into this letter that he was writing to of a group of people in a place. So it will be, a, there we go. So this is God's word to us. Let's read this together. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, as we are listening to these words, and even as we're singing songs we're singing, our, our sins there are many, your mercy is more. That is a message and a word that I think many of us need to hear and be reminded of that we can be honest about where we are and the fact that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. They're not the way that we wish they would be. They're not the way in many ways you want them to be. But your mercy is greater than our failures. Please breathe on us your breath of life and forgiveness and recenter us on the one who makes all things new. We ask in his name. Amen. So, why are we here? Here's a question for you to ponder. Like, why do you come here? Why are you a part of this thing right here? And we could spend time answering questions, but some people say, I come to worship, or I come to, you know, build relationships, or I come to learn something, right? There's lots of different reasons, but there's also lots of other ways that you can do that. Like, some people say, I actually worship better in the privacy of my own home. Or when I'm out in the mountains, I, can, I feel like I connect more with God, right? I mean, there's, there's other ways to do that kind of stuff. So what are, what, are, what are we doing and where are we going is a very fair question to ask. Next week, we're going to have this meeting right after worship, and we're going to give some updates on where things have been, where we are, and where we're going. So we want to talk through some of that. Um, what we heard last week when it comes to... Uh, Mark chapter 10, if, if you weren't here, go and just read Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And what we're going to talk about today is essential as we move forward and we make our next steps. We've been discussing our vision over the last several weeks, actually the last couple of months, to see the gospel transform everything. There's our vision statement. The gospel transforms everything by taking a look at how the gospel transforms specific things. And today I want to look at the community itself 
right? So transformation we've been talking about. I want to look at the community itself. And this is kind of a, a simple statement extracted, somewhat extracted from that verse that we just read, but really extracted from the whole Bible. And it's this. This is our, our big vision, our big um, point for the day. The gospel transforms community as community is formed around Jesus. Gospel's tran- the gospel transforms community, whatever we are, this community, as we are formed around Jesus. So we, the town church of Greeley, that is the name that we have called ourselves, we are a community. Why are we a community? Why do we talk about being a community? Because we come together. We share life together. Some of us are doing that more than others. Uh, Some of us are wanting that more than we're experiencing. And we're doing that because as a a, church community, we're actually trying to come around Jesus. We're trying to actually be formed and to know him. So why, why, why do we need community? Like what's what's the reason for this? And I want to look at two kind of big ideas because we, we need community because, um, because we need connection. And we need connection to something bigger and we need connection to something specific. There's a historic aspect to this that we need connection to and there's a very particular present aspect to this. So this is how we're going to break up our conversation today. And this first part is the whole Bible. So we're going to do, like, we need to be connected to something bigger. So we need to look at the historic reason we need connection. So let us start in the beginning, right? The beginning is a very good place to start. (laughs) It's the way to begin. Genesis 1 and 2, this is the beginning of the book. God made all things, and he made us as the climax of that thing that he made, creation. We, made, we were made in his image, male and female. And he said, it wasn't good for us to be alone. Therefore, he made us to be in union with one another. We're, we, call, we call that, he doesn't call it marriage. We call it marriage. He, he brings people together between a, a, a man and a woman. This is kind of the building block of what community is supposed to be. But that itself is the seedling of something so much bigger that he's doing, which is making us for community to image him in this world through community. How are we going to image him? Well, by being in community. Why is that? Because he himself is community. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternally, God is communal. He is in community, and we are made in his image. And we understand his the Trinity as the scriptures unfold, right? We don't get that right at the very beginning, but as time unfolds, we understand he reveals himself this way. So the way we are to image him and to live out his purpose for us, how he's designed us, is by staying in connection with him, which enables us to stay in connection with one another. Because when that fractures, something's horribly wrong, which unfortunately... The story quickly reveals why we have a problem today. Because is this working for us all? Are we staying well connected to each other? Not as we could, right? So Genesis chapter 3, you know, you turn the pages to a page or two, and we see this. We chose to pull away from God as the centerpiece. Um, And we decided to recenter on something else. What did we decide to center on? Me, I mean, fundamentally, I decided to center on me. That's what humanity did. 
We broke away and we started recentering ourselves on something else. At this point, relationships and marriage and community were fractured. They were shattered. Thorns and thistles. That's one of the images that God gives to us. Hierarchy, manipulation, selfishness corrupted us in our connection and community. All those things are a result of something breaking. That's what happened. But God, being God, the nature of of who he is, was not willing to give up on us or his purpose, his design for us. He was committed to restoring us to himself and community around himself so that we could flourish and experience peace and, and get on with what he designed us for, his mission. Therefore, he kept pursuing people. He kept calling people out to be his people. He wanted to regather people for himself so that they could be on with the mission of loving the world that he made. So early on in the biblical account, I mean, there's lots of things I'm skipping, right? Early on in the biblical account, we get to Genesis chapter 12, and he calls out this guy and his wife called Abram and Sarai, who he then changes their name to Abraham and Sarah. And they become a kind of new Adam and Eve. They're they're kind of a reboot in a sense. From, From them, he grew this whole nation that we call Israel. But they grew up in a land that wasn't their own. They actually grew up under the empire of Egypt. At which point, as men tend to do, the, those that were in power enslaved those who were under their authority and made them, made them slaves for their own self-serving reasons. So at this point, they're crying out to God, God, please do something. God hears their cry. Eventually, in, in his timing, he called another person, Moses, to be an ambassador, or you could say to be his image. He called this guy named Moses to be his image, to lead the community, this Israel community out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, into freedom, to be a people who could recenter on the one true God, who called himself I am or he is, and the name for that is Yahweh. This is, he gave himself a a, a personal name that he gave to the people of Israel at that time. And he says, you're going to recenter on me. Having called them out, he reintroduced himself, uh, showing, teaching them his character and how he wants us to live in the world that he made and to live with each other. And he gave them, this is where they're in the desert, right? And they go to Mount Sinai. And what does he do on Mount Sinai? What does he give? No law, right? He gives these, these commands. What are these commands? Are they just supposed to be burdensome? No, he's saying, this is my character. I want you to know my character. This is, how, this is who I am, and this is how life actually works. And then to remind them that he was for them, and he alone was to be their centerpiece. That's a constant reminder he needs to give. He also instructed them to build a big tent. It's called the tabernacle. That would represent his presence with them, and that, they, that he was for them. This tent is where he said, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to be in the center. Literally, they were, and especially in the desert, the whole nation was surrounding this tent, this place where God was going to meet with his people. And like this original community, Adam and Eve, these people, Israel, continued to pull away from him. He gave himself to them, but he kept, we kept pulling away, putting themselves or other things at the center of their lives as individuals, but also as the center of their lives as a community. But what does God do? He continues to persevere, 
eventually giving them a land and he gives them kings and he gives them prophets and priests who were supposed to remind them and recenter them on the one whose life. All of these gifts that he kept giving to them were supposed to point them back to what was supposed to be their center. And in this, there were representatives that were called elders. This is where the idea of elder even comes from. There were elders that were there to represent groups of people within the larger community before God and to represent God to those people. They were there to help carry the load of serving and leading and keeping the people together, right? Because we have this reason, we have this tendency to fracture, and those elders as leaders are supposed to be there to help hold people together. With that, the tabernacle was eventually replaced with the temple in Jerusalem. So as the nation continued to grow, and we have this King David, and he wants to have a place. His son gets to build this temple, and that place is where the people would come. They would give sacrifices, and they would be reminded that Yahweh is their God who gives life and who holds community together. Keep coming back to your centerpiece. That was the point from the tabernacle to the temple. It is the story of their lives, which is the story of our lives goes on. Their self-centeredness kept corrupting them and disrupting the community over and over again. Eventually, they were overtaken. They were exiled into the land, into other, other nations. There were moments when remnants would come back or they would, they would remain, but it was always incomplete. As the story unfolds, it was always incomplete. There was this need for what the prophets would say that God had to do which was regather them and give them, he says, the prophets would say, we need a new heart. God needs to give us a new heart. We needed to be reminded of this centerpiece of his character, of his law. That needs to be embedded in us. It can't just be something external. It has to be something internal. This was not just for them as individuals, but it was for them to be his renewed community, his family, his community. The prophet said, we need this. And it's talked about in many places, but here are two. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, these are both Old Testament prophets. They talk about this kind of need for a new heart. So I'll just read this. This is Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make, this is God speaking, I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay, that was, Jer- that was Jeremiah. Then Ezekiel says something similar. He says, I'm going to take you from the nations because they're scattered at this point. And Ezekiel's sending this out, saying, God's saying, I'm going to take you out of the nations. I'm going to gather you from all the countries and I'm going to bring you into your own land. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all your idols, all those false centers, I'm going to cleanse you of that. And I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a heart that actually beats, that is of flesh. So this is, this is, there's a problem. And God says, I know there's a problem. I know there's a problem. I'm going to be about fixing the problem. The Hebrew scriptures end with this hope, this longing for something better, a better day, a better king a better restoration. They're longing for a better community. They've tasted it, but it's so, it sours so quickly. It's got to be a better community. And God says, yes, you're right. So as the years pass, we come into the, so that was the whole Old Testament. There you go. 
So now, as the year, are you guys with me? Is this just too much? Is this, are we good? All right. Um, the, it's, the centuries pass, we get to the first century, first century AD, we encounter a great descendant of one of those first great kings, David. He's just a descendant, the one whom God said was, he was eventually going to send. He talked about, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send a better king. He's going to be from your lineage, the lineage of the great King David. And his name is Yeshua in Hebrew. It's, it's Isus in Greek. We call him Jesus. All right. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, he was clearly an anomaly to the human race. Okay, if you don't think anything else about him, he's got to be at least that. And he's a better version of us. I think that's a, that's, that seems fair to say, whether you believe in who we're about to say that he is or not. Those are some things that I, I that seem kind of clear. And for this reason and for many other reasons, he was revealed and he was declared to be the one in whom God would make all things right. Who would not just restore Israel, he would restore the nations. He was the Son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And it's said about him that he was, First John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word actually was God. And that Word, he goes on to say, the Word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is tabernacle. Remember? God is going to put the tab- ah gee, oh oh wait a minute Jesus is that he Jesus is the tabernacle he came to he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth Jesus is the one who brings the God described in the Old Testament near to us the God who made all things near to us in and around him life and community are to be restored. This is the beginning of the new creation, of the new world order that will come to completion on a few, still our future day when Jesus comes back. It's, he's going to bring it to completion, but it has actually begun. Now, in what Paul calls the last days, so Paul talks about the last days. When is the last days? Now, from the time of Jesus is going back to God's space, to whenever he returns, this is considered the last days. We are to carry Jesus into the world as the restorer of life and community. Those of us who are who coming to see him, we get to actually carry this message. Because before Jesus left to go back up into God's space, he said this. This is the end of Matthew, one of the gospel accounts. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives us the, we call it the great commission. This is what he gives. If you've come to see him as beautiful, we get to carry that into the world. And with that, Jesus sent the Spirit to be with those who find him to be the way, the truth, and the life who align their lives with him. If you align your life with him, he sends his spirit. And I would even challenge, he's sending his spirit into you to help you align your life with him. It's a back and forth thing. All of those who are drawn to him as the centerpiece are formed around Jesus. And they're also formed together into community. This has been historically called the ecclesia. 
which is the gathering. Ecclesia is a Greek word for the gathering, the assembly. It's the church. We translate it church. It's his people. It's his body. So this, this is our connection to something big. Like if you're, wanting, if you're wanting to be connected to something big, I mean, how much bigger do you get than this? Than, rest, than this kind of connection to the one who made us and then the community he's establishing. This is the something big, connection to God, to his community. This has historic significance. It has historic, historic weight. It's beyond just our moment in time. It's this very large, what we would say, eternal connection that we get. This is not just, not just a new or a man-made thing. We are made for this, and God has been working to restore it for a very, very, very long time. And as we come to Jesus, we get to be connected to this big reality. If you want connection to something big, this is it. And with that, we need connection to, I mean, it's good to be connected to the thing that's big. We also need to be connected to something that's specific, We need a connection to a specific group. So I ask the question again, why are we here? This is the big thing. Why are we now here? As the word of Jesus went out, these little communities of people, first in Jerusalem, then spreading into the whole Roman Empire of their time, began to form. So many many of them first started as Jewish communities who had already been gathered. Like when, when God dispersed the people out of the land of Israel, they had little pockets, little synagogues of Jewish people that would gather together. So when, when they would go out, when the message of Jesus went out, it went to some of these communities. The story of Jesus came to them. They actually believed it. They received the Spirit. They were baptized, and they became the people of Jesus. That, that's how they got, it was spread all over the place. But soon, by design, these communities opened to and they spread to all nations. It wasn't just a Jewish thing, a Jewish sect. It started to spread through all the nations. And all the nations were also invited into those communities. Generation after generation, these Jesus communities continued. Through it all, God advanced his kingdom and declaration of Jesus as king because here's the story, Jesus is king. He declared that and, and he advanced that around the world. His communities would gather, they would form. Sometimes it's a handful of people. Sometimes it's thousands of people. This is how they would gather. We certainly have been dependent on those who have gone before us, right? As we, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we are absolutely dependent on those who've gone before us and before you, who carried and they preserved the story of Jesus. Why do you know the story of Jesus? Because it got passed on, right? And we're dependent on them because he also preserved, we would say, by the power of the Spirit, they also preserved the story that points to Jesus. It's what we call the Bible. Are we dependent on those that came before us? Absolutely we are. Yet, I will say, not a but, but a yet, The beauty of every new follower of Jesus and every new community that forms is that we all have direct access and are allowed to personally and individually, but also corporately, sit at his feet. Are we dependent? Yeah, 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 we are dependent. But it's fresh. Every new encounter, 
You don't have to just rely on what came before you. You get to encounter Jesus right now. He is our center as a particular community of people. Every new church, though, we build on those who come before us ultimately are founded on the original Jesus, the OG, right? It's not a derivative. It's the real living son of God who sends his spirit to be the centerpiece for us. We do this by going back to the prophets and to the apostles who pointed to Jesus. We do go back to the book so that we can know him in the present. This church, so the town, church, is messy, and we are a messy people, okay? And incomplete as we are is a specific present continuation of this people. As long as we continually recenter on Jesus, we will be transformed and we will be reformed by him. That's his promise to us. So early on in the Jesus movement, there was a man who was a hater of the Jesus people who ended up being changed. He encountered Jesus. His name was Saul or Paul. He ended up writing most of, much of the, what we call the New Testament. Um, we read, that's what we read this morning. That was from him. He gladly calls himself, among a lot of things, the servant of Jesus the Messiah. Paul, Paul calls himself that. His life goal was to get around and to tell as many people as he could the story of Jesus. He went everywhere doing this. He was following Jesus' instructions, his last instructions. This meant as people came to believe, they also came together to become new communities. That letter that we just read, the first part of the letter, that was written to a community or potentially communities of people. And as organic as this was, Encouraging and teaching and leading and serving and refocusing people on what brought and held them together is essential. We need people to keep doing that for us. And for Jesus's community, I think, um, yeah, for Jesus's community, we still, we still have to wrestle. Like, do you feel complete right now? Do you feel complete? No, I mean, holy cow, I hope I'm not complete. I know my family hopes I'm not complete. (laughs) Right? We still have to wrestle with, and we we have to die to this, this old way that destroys us and others. It's the way of self centeredness. We have to we have to be we have to have destroyed in us our self obsession. Um, Fran and I were in text with someone we love very much who just broke up with her um, boyfriend for a long time that she loved, she cared for. But his self-obsession was destroying their relationship. She couldn't continue. Your self, our self-obsession destroys not only us, but the people around us. We need help, Right? We st- I, I still need help. We need each other to encourage and support and remind and to teach and continually reorient us to, to the selfless one to help us get over ourselves. This is something every follower of Jesus needs and gets to do. We need other- I need you doing that to me 
And part of my responsibility is to do it for you as well. There, there's something, like we, have, we, we need this. And there's no hierarchy in this family. That's what we were trying, that's what Jesus was telling us last week when we were reading Matt, uh, Mark chapter 10, where he said, uh, whoever's going to be first among you has to be your slave. Look, don't be, like, don't be like the Gentiles lording it over people. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's Jesus saying? Get rid of this hierarchy. Or maybe if there is a hierarchy, it's an upside down one. For even our king, the one who makes all things new, did so by laying down his self. He gave up the self, dying to ransom and to rescue us. Okay, if that's the way he is, man, how much more so should it be for us? And with that, we are called to be servants. And as we read scripture, it appears some of those are called to be servants of servants. Because Paul goes around and he's helping new communities of Jesus begin and grow. He sometimes leaves or he sends others who have been equipped, who've been gifted by God to serve or do what is called, sometimes called pastor. He, he, sent, he is that, but he also sends people and he, and he leaves people. But they're not just to do that on their own. They're also to identify and train and to appoint others to do this. This is how the New Testament explains how the ecclesia, the church, is supposed to work. So here's a few examples of this. So in 1 Timothy, so uh, Paul is writing to his young friend Timothy, and it begins with this. Look, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, look, you remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons to teach, um, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So he says, look, I left you, Timothy so that you can teach, so that you can do the things that need to be done because there's some, there's some screwed up stuff that is going on, all right? And he goes on, and this is in chapter three of that, of that letter. As I urged you, uh, yeah, no, chapter three, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And then he goes on and he describes overseer. The word overseer there is episkopos. If you've ever heard of the Episcopal Church or a bishop, that's where that word comes from. Okay, and the overseer, Timothy, you're supposed to appoint these overseers to, to partner with you in doing this work, appointing people to Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. Deacon, diaconos, this is a servant. So there's these things that he's saying that you need to put into place as your church grows. And then in Titus, this is Titus, the first chapter of Titus, he says, this is why I left you, Titus. I left you in Crete for a purpose. Why? So that you might put what remains into order and appoint presbyteros in every town as I directed you. Okay, presbyteros. That's the word that we translate elder. I want you to appoint elders in these places. Okay, we're coming to the end of this. We're going to discuss this um, a little bit more next week and much more as time goes on. But as we grow and we move forward, this is one of the next steps for us as a, a fledgling Jesus community. Right to prayerfully begin appointing certain kind of servant leaders that we call elders, and as time goes on, deacons, who will help us continue to move forward and who will supremely, their role 
is to recenter, constantly help us recenter on the one who is our only center. That is the role of our servant leaders, who alone is worthy and capable of being our true head. You only got one that's worthy of being your true pastor your senior pastor, whatever you want to call it. It's Jesus. And the, per, the role of elders and deacons and servant leaders is to point to that one. And, and why is that? Because he's the only one worthy and capable of being that. Nobody else is. And yes, because he is a powerful king. This is true. But also because he is the supreme, selfless servant. He, Jesus, is the supreme selfless servant around whom we are transformed. Father, this was a fire hose, I feel like. (laughs) Um, Have mercy on us. Help us. Lord, help us to see what you are really about, what you have established, what you've designed us for, to live in communion and connection with you. And as we're drawn together, as we're drawn to you, we're also drawn together. Lord, please continue that process. Cause us to come alive to the fantastic, incredible beauty and power and mercy and glory of our King who represents the one who made all things. Holy Spirit, press the love and the life of Jesus into us so that we would be drawn not only to him and be restored to him, but we'd be restored to one another, restored as the human beings you want us to be, so that we might go forth and be your ambassadors of service to the world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.